Let me tell you of a universe where what you see is temporal. Something else can insist on that. That what is seen is real, yes, yet what you don't see can actually exist and can be seen. Hey, 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 amazing people. So this is the part two of the parallel universe. So we began to explore the concept of parallel universe and how you can move from one universe to another universe, meaning one reality to another reality. And on this episode, we're going to conclude with a very interesting conversation. Look, if you're new here, I'd like you join in on our many other conversations. But hey, you're here now. Let's have a go. Hey, you're welcome again. Now, in this episode, we want to explore, of course, this is the part two of the conversation we started on parallel universe, how you can move from one universe to another universe. And this concept is very interesting because it brings to mind that in every universe, a certain kind of reality exists. And that is what defines everything, what's possible, what's not possible and how things operate. And so a universe would usually comprise of everything that you know of. It, will con- it comprises of um, the planet, of all the stars, the galaxies, all of space-time, you know, all of matter generally. You can talk of the physical laws, even the information that circulates around that, um, yeah, around that environment. It's um, generally, you know, what you call possibilities and you know what's possible and what's not every of those things you now know is actually what defines a universe but now we also know that there is the concept of multiverse meaning multiple universe meaning a universe can exist outside a particular universe which you know of so what that would mean is that um, everything you know of of how information moves of how time of how transportation happens you know um, law of gravity, you know, um, aerodynamics, you know, velocity, um, acceleration, gravity, and all of those things, you know, would exist in a different way. All those concepts may not even exist in a, another universe. So there'll be a difference in matter, you know, matter transformation, energy, how it's transformed. You know, there'll be a difference, even how time functions, it will be different in that concept. So how is this even possible? How is this concept? Doesn't it look like a sci-fi kind of concept? Maybe to some extent you're correct because most of this knowledge or most knowledge, um, even for me, one of the the ways I knew or first, you know, I first encountered this concept was through sci-fi movies. But then I got to study more. I I began to uncover more concepts. I began to do, to expand my horizon. And I realized that Mm, really, this concept exists for real. It's not just a fiction. Something that's really interesting that I realized in this journey when I began to search out to understand if this concept of parallel universe really exists outside of fiction. And then I realized that dreams, <laughs> I consider dreams. Um, you'd remember at, at, at lots of instances or moments in your dreams where you move between two locations. So that's now the form of transportation. And you you can't even remember how you moved. You just know that in the speed of a second, you were at a particular location and 
the other location you moved to maybe 500 kilometers apart, a thousand or even less, maybe 10 kilometers apart, five kilometers apart. And it was almost instant that just at the thinking at the present, at the emergence of that thought, immediately you were in that next location. It wasn't even something you had to, um, you know, how, <laughs> how some of the movies we watch and then you have to maybe concentrate on the next place you're going to and then you find yourself there. Some That's sort of transportation. That's not even what happened in your dream. You just moved between locations effortlessly, you know, without even, almost without even thinking. In fact, without thinking, you moved across. So this concept in the dream in the dream world, of course, this concept is real, that transportation could, a could actually function outside of what we know of now as transportation in this our world, in this our universe. So transportation will either be by air, or transportation will either be by land, or transportation will be by sea. Those are the three. We know not of any other. <laughs> but then, our dream world has informed us that Maybe in the dream world, it doesn't work that way. And this concept is real because it sounds funny, kind of. It sounds, um, it may sound kind of basic, but it's not. It's not. If you really look at the fundamentals of what we're talking about, that there's the possibilities of parallel universe with their different kind of realities. So parallel reality. So what you understand now, even how you may interpret what I'm saying and how you may interpret how things work and function is governed by the understanding that moves around that universe and that for a different universe, you know, different realities exist. And this is just saying that if you want a different kind of reality and it doesn't exist in your universe, all the universe holds such kind of reality. And all you have to do is to move to that, you know, other universe. That simple. So let me tell you of a universe. There is a universe where what you see is temporal. So whatever you can see, as long as you can see it physically, it's material, it's tangible. You can perceive it with your senses. It's just right before you. It is temporal. So something else which is not currently physically seen can come and insist and change what you currently see such that what you see would be at the mercy of what you don't see. <laughs> so it means that whatever you see at the moment and you do not want, then there is the possibility of that in erasing off, of cleaning off, of melting away, of dissolving away. So that, yeah, so that what you can see can melt away to give room for another sin. There's that universe. It exists. So whatever your realities is, um, whatever your realities are, if you like them, then it's fine. It continues. But then it says that your current reality is still temporal. So if you want to continue seeing that reality which you like, you still have to keep introducing what you know. Because whatever you can see is already temporal. It must pass away. And that what you see and you do not want and you do not desire, then it's temporal. So you just, you, you, you don't even have to wait for it to move, which is, you know, basically what we do most of the time. We just wait and say, you know, time pass. And, you know, we time, we see, we use concepts like phrases, like we time, you know, we time. So it means that when it's, since it's temporal, then it means that eventually to fade away, but we just have to just sit in there and just wait for it to, you know, move. But that's not the only way, you know, things can move. It means that something else can insist on something and then cause it to be temporal. And that's how change can occur. That what is seen is real. Yet what you don't see can exist 
and can be seen, yeah, first in your mind and then it can then be seen physically. You know, we can all see it. Isn't it an interesting concept? It's really interesting because think of this concept of imagination and how a lot of people say, you know, if wishes were horses, you know, everyone would ride. Yeah, it was something we all laughed at back then and we said, oh, come on, <laughs> that's wishful thinking. It's just a world of fantasy. It doesn't exist. But then I realized that may not be entirely true, really. Wishes can be horses which anyone can ride on. <laughs> yeah. And so if you explore the word imagination and you, yeah, if you explore it, you go to the root word. I learned recently that it's derived from the word yetzar, meaning it, which is synonymous to the word womb. So it means that your imagination can equally be as potent as something, as something as real. You know, you know, a child is real. You know, when the child is in the womb, it's not fictitious. It's not arbitrary. It's not something that is, that is beyond your understanding. It's there. We know it. Even if we cannot see the child, we know it's there, you know, and eventually after nine months, the child comes out. So it says imagination is equally as potent as that thing we see. And so it brings an interesting concept. You know, as a person of faith, I got to explore really and learn. And then one of the times I was exploring, I realized that God said in his word that um, God is able, that he is able to do far exceedingly above all we could ask or think. We could ask or imagine. So it means that when you pray to him, it's the same thing as when you imagine in your heart. They are equally potent. That seemed like, do I really understand? Do I really? Get, I, I don't get what that means. You know, I'd tell myself I don't get that, and I had to sit back and really explore and say, what does that mean? What you ask for is equally as potent as what you imagine in your heart. And then I continue to explore this concept, and I realize that this is true, in fact, because in order. In other portions of scriptures, as a person of faith, I kept to explore and I realized that there's a particular, you know, portion where Jesus Christ was teaching about God. He was trying to explain how God functions and he was telling them that, look, if you do something bad, really, or something evil, um, you'd be judged by God. It's more of like sowing and reaping. You know, if you do something bad, just like we have in, you know, a legal system, someone inflicts injury or pain on someone, then there's a provision in law, you know, for a commensurate punishment, right? Some form of judgment passed on that individual. So he's saying that God also does that. So if a particular evil or a bad is being done, of course, in action form, you know, God rewards. But he was saying, hey, 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 I understand that you guys function based on actions, but I also function based on imagination. So, hey, if you actually carry out an evil, inflict an injury on someone, it's bad, really bad. But then if you also imagine that situation, that scenario in your heart, you, you really want to inflict and then you paint the picture. You, you, you know how you could imagine something and it could be really real. I mean, there's a difference between when you just think something, just flimsy thoughts, you know, it just passes and you imagine something and it doesn't hold so much weight. There are, there are other moments when you imagine and you could feel the, you could almost feel it like it's almost alive in you. You could, 
you could think something bad about someone and it could almost feel real like it had, it had actually happened to the person. That form is what we call imagination. I've experienced that before, so I know that there's this form of thinking that is not just wishful thinking like, oh, when I travel around the world, I will move in first class and I'll jump on. No, this one, it's different. It's, it's still thinking, it's imagination, but it's real. As you think about it, it's almost like it's being birthed in you. It's like a physical formation is happening. And it shows that our thoughts, our imaginations are equally as potent. So that world exists. So what's the advantage of that? It means you could change whatever you see. That whatever you see, as long as it can be seen, then it can be changed. Now, this is an interesting story. It's now a common story you hear with me nowadays. Um, There's a story about a man who thought he was Napoleon Bonaparte. Bonaparte or Bonaparte. <laughs> so there was this guy who um, was tired of life. He, he, there was nothing much for him to do. He had tried exploring lots of things. He had tried out, you know, a lot of activities, businesses, you know, trying to understand, but a lot of things were not working out. There was no one to rely on. He was all by himself. He was all by himself. And at this point, he had tried a long time and he was just thinking there was nothing left in this life for him. And you know what? He should just be out of here. If you're here, it's no good. I mean, if you go, he felt that he wanted to just pack up. But then before he made that decision, he visited this particular woman. She was a palm reader. Of course, he went there sad, dejected and everything. But, you know, the woman just told him, hey, sit there, you know, open your palms. And then she did her things, you know, eyes closed and then some gestures, you know, some hand movement here and there, some sounds. And then all of a sudden she said, making this awkward sound. Of course, it was awkward to him. <laughs> And then he was he was getting impatient because it was it was taking long and he was like what's what, like what's she doing like just tell me I didn't come here for drama just tell me and then she kept on doing that doing that and you know it was driving him crazy and he was just please tell me even if it's that bad there's no information I can get from you that could be that bad like I've I've seen <laughs> I've seen bad right. And so after all those drama, drama, everything, he still had to wait there patiently. And then she told him, look what I saw, like, you know, like what I, what I'm seeing right now, what I saw and what I'm still seeing right now is, I don't know if I could even open my mouth. And he's like, you ju just do it, just do it. And she was like, you know, pacing around, panting and all of everything. And she said, you are, she was like, what, what, you, you are Napoleon Bonaparte reincarnate. Yeah. So reincarnate is more like a clone, someone who comes again in the form of someone. And then at this time, Napoleon Bonaparte was already, he had gone already. But I mean, he had died at this particular time. But of course, Napoleon was a very reputable figure in the world. All over the world, he was recognized as a world-class leader. And everyone knew the story. And then he also knew the story. And he was like say that again like repeat it and she was like you are napoleon bonaparte reincarnate i know it you are and he left there and he couldn't think for a while he couldn't imagine he was the information was way above him he could even he couldn't even process it he was just he went home or sitting for days he was you know was trying to process the thoughts he was trying hard he was trying hard he was trying hard and eventually after a while he realized that look so i'm napoleon i'm napoleon oh my god and all these things that have been happening all the while i was not even aware and then i just let my life just go anyhow just go south 
And this is the reality, you know, and he was so grateful to the woman. He thanked her a lot and he was just moving around and he was like, you know, I'm Napoleon. He was just making all these gestures. He was telling his friends, hey, 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 Jeremy, do you know I'm Napoleon? <laughs> you know, and of course, yeah, was he crazy? <laughs> yes, he was crazy because, he, you know, he began to take off pictures of his wall. He began to put on pictures of Napoleon in his wall. I mean, in his living area, his parlor, everywhere in his room, he just began putting up pictures of Napoleon. He got audio tapes of Napoleon. He got video records of Napoleon. You know, he got pictures of Napoleon, which, you know, showed the kind of um, um, fabric, you know, the kind of style, you know, clothing um, Napoleon puts on. You know, I think Napoleon was kind of like a military leader and he had this particular way his uniforms. And then he began to sew his clothes. He packed all his old clothes. He threw them away. He got new lines. He got new fabric, got new materials, went to the tailor, showed them pattern, look at what I want, you know, make it exactly replicated, duplicated and everything. And he began to do all of that. And of course, like I said, he was crazy because everyone said he was crazy. But that's what he kept on doing. He, he even practiced how Napoleon was speaking, you know, his gestures, how he moves, you know, his stance, his posture, his gait. Every of those things, he began to rehearse it and he, he became a replica of Napoleon. And so after a number of years, 20, yeah, you know, I can't, I can't say precisely, but it took a while. Of course, he was a successful person and though not a military leader, you know, at the time, you know, respected and all of it. But, you know, to some degree, he was successful. And then he remembered, wait, there was a woman. She told me all about this. Ah, I must be grateful. And then he wanted to show his appreciation, his gratitude to her. And then he sent out his people. He had lots of people working for him and to go find out. And then they were able to pick the location. He found out that... She was actually there and then, you know, it took them quite a while to actually get to this place. So eventually he got there and he found this woman and then he, he of course, got, got a lot of gifts. He brought in lots of gifts and then he was so grateful. He was appreciating her. I was thanking her. I'm so, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm most grateful. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Look at who I am. It's all because of you. Without you, I don't know who I've been, you know, and all of those things. Yeah, he was so grateful. And the woman said she can't really recognize him and all of that. And he was like, you should be able to recognize me, you know, look at my face. Look at it. it was like, I'm so sorry. She was quite, you know, she was really advanced in age at the time. He said, okay, you know what? This one, you would definitely remember if I tell you this. <laughs> and then she was like, okay, okay. And I was like, I am that person you told that he was a reincarnate of Napoleon. Does that ring a bell? You know, he was so excited. You see, I told you. And she was like, uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't still ring a bell. And he was surprised. Like, really, who doesn't? I mean, Napoleon reincarnates. Who wouldn't remember that? It's supposed to ring all the bells, right? And then he was like, what's happening? Is that she's losing her memory or something? I don't understand. And then after staying a while, you know, she broke down. And then she began to sob and was like what's wrong moment to solve is a moment of happiness of celebration and she said i'm so sorry i deceived you and it was like what i don't understand like deceive me like you did not deceive me you helped me <laughs> i was like i'm so sorry um i remember um a while ago I, I went into this palm reading job because 
Um, I was really suffering and there was no food and all of those things. So I took the job. I'm not even a real palm reader. And the truth is that everyone that came here, I told them they were Napoleon Bonaparte. Everybody. I So I can't really remember if you were the one because like I told everybody and I just got into this. I'm not even a real palm reader and I'm so sorry. She apologized for the deceit and all of that. And she just walked away and he was shocked. There are lots of sides to this story and what we can pick from it, but um, one of the things I want to, us to expand on is the fact that was he crazy for believing that he was that reincarnate? He was crazy, but really, is he really crazy? <laughs> he wasn't. Now, the thing is that whatever we hold through in our imagination, whatever we can see in our mind is equally as potent as what is real. So if you are really a king, for example, born into a royal family. Now you're a prince because there's a king and you're going to take over. Of course, that's real. That's, this, this is a real situation. This person's royal blood and this person will be a king in no distant time. And if someone else who is, has no royal blood is just someone else from another lineage or something, he holds that imagination true, that reality in his mind or her mind that she is a king or a queen. It becomes equally as real as this other person who is real, you can actually trace the descent and say, oh, this person comes from a lineage of kings and all of that. It could be as potent as that. So two kinds of reality is possible for two realities to exist in a space. It's more of the concept of um, selective sight. Um, depending on what you're seeing, it doesn't depend. There's no absolute about sight. It just depends on what you're seeing. This concept is very similar to selective attention and it's selective attention is something neural, I mean, um, neurolinguistics or something like that. But, you know, it talks about the concept of where, because it happened to me. So if you're driving a red car, all of a sudden you discover that there are more red, red cars in town. And if you're driving a black car, all of a sudden you, you realize, look, is it that everyone likes black cars? I mean, and the thing is that a year ago, two years ago, while you were driving a red car, you perhaps... There are lots of black cars passing, but I mean, selective attention, you were, you were recognizing things that look more like what you were doing. So the kind of car you were driving, you know, color of the car, the shape, you know, and some of those things, the engine and all of those things you were, the features, you know, and then all of a sudden you change to a gray car. And what's funny is that when you wanted to get this new car, maybe gray, and maybe the reason you got is like, oh, gray color. I mean, who drives gray, right? Or green, who drives green around town? And then all of a sudden, two months in, you're driving and it's like, I don't get it. Is it that people just bought green cars now? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you discover that they had it, right? Um, it's just selective attention. It's how that's, you know, two different things. Uh, you know, there could be green and red cars, but then all you see is red cars. And then all of a sudden, when you switch your car to green, all of a sudden you begin to see green cars, right? Um, it's the thing with um, selective attention. But... Um, selective sight is much deeper than this concept of selective attention because selective attention is more of like until you see it, it's evident. But in selective sight, it means that even while something is not visible, even something is not seen, it, it, it is seen by you. And once it's seen by you, that's it. More of the concept of an architect. I mean, the plan is already on paper. The architect sees the building. You may not see it. Of course, you may not even understand it when he shows you maybe as a person of um, you're not in the architect, you know, architecture field and all of that. Um, but for him, it's done, right? It's the same thing, whether it's down there in structure 
or it's on paper, it's there, it's imagined, it's conceived, it can be seen, it's equally as visible as what is seen and as what is not seen by others. Live in this realm because that's where you now live. Hey, that's all we have for this episode of Parallel Universe. Um, have a great time and see you on the next episode. If this episode hit all the right spots, do well to subscribe so you can get notified of future episodes. Cheers to your clarity.